For this evening's reading is from 2 Timothy, chapter 2, beginning at verse 14. Remind them of these things, and charge them before God, not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourselves to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people to more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. But God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Now, in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honourable use, some for dishonourable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonourable, he will be a vessel for honourable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So, flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart, and have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, after being captured by him to do his will. Well, good evening, and uh, thanks to everyone who's been involved in the service up to this point. Thanks to David for leading, to the band, uh, to Mary for leading our prayers of intercession, and to James for doing our reading. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Graham, and I'm one of the ministry associates here at Chalmers. Please do come and say hello to me after the service, if we've not met, and, uh, or if you have any questions about anything that I say this evening, please do come and ask me. Um, also, if you would like someone to pray with you after the service this evening, please do come down to the front and uh, there will be people available to, to pray for you. This term, in our evening services, we've been walking through Paul's second letter to Timothy. One of the key themes in this letter is to encourage Timothy that he should entrust to faithful men the gospel that has been entrusted to him. So Paul is writing to Timothy to outline for him what these faithful men should look like. Last week, Robin moved us into the main section of 2 Timothy, which runs from 2 Timothy uh, 2, 
verse 14 to chapter 4, verse 6. This section is focused on the ministry of the word. And in this section, Paul highlights the need for the approved worker to be able to rightly handle the word of truth. With that background in mind, let me pray as we turn to open up God's word together this evening. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we, as we come to your word, we pray and we ask that you would be good to us this evening, Lord. Be at work teaching and instructing us, changing our hearts and drawing us more and more into your likeness. Lord, make us into vessels for honourable use. Help us to guard our walks before you. Lord, make us into tools that will be useful in the Father's hand and train us in what we should look like as Christian leaders, as people training for leadership in Christian churches, and as members of the congregation. Help us to know what we should be looking for in leaders of churches. Help us to set as a goal, knowing you, walking with you, and witnessing to a world in the hopes that some might be saved. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, for his glory. Amen. I wonder if you've ever been in a position where you've booked a holiday, you've packed your bags, you've got your tickets, you've gone off to the airport, you've parked, you've made it to the terminal, you're at the ticket desk, and you're, you're getting through security, and all of a sudden you realise... I don't have my passport with me. All of that planning, all of that work, all of that preparation, maybe months of looking forward to the holiday, and it's completely useless because you've forgotten a vital thing, and without it, you can't go any further forward. Now, that's never happened to me, but it's always a great fear of mine. Every single time I get to the airport, I wonder, do I have my passport? because I know how much I need it. Well, in our passage this evening, Paul is outlining our second requirement for the approved worker, something that the approved worker needs to be approved, something that they need in order to move forward, in order to be useful to God. The approved worker of God must handle the word of God rightly. We saw that last week, but they must also walk rightly before God. Just as mishandling the word of truth can be destructive to the faith of members of the church, so failings in the character of the leader can be destructive. This is a stark challenge for those of us leading ministries here at Chalmers or training for ministry here at Chalmers. But it's also a real encouragement where we see leaders getting these things right, where we see leaders putting these things into practice. And importantly, it's instructive for those in the congregation to know what you should look for in a church leader. Someone who handles the word of truth rightly and someone with a character that flees from sin and pursues righteousness, faith, love, and peace. We're going to see these things in our passage this evening with the help of two headings. Um, firstly, cleanse yourself verses 20 to 23, and secondly, walk with purpose, verses 24 to 26. 
Those headings are on the back of your order of service sheet so that you can take notes if you find that helpful. Um, it will also be really helpful to you if you have the text open in front of you um, and it's on page uh, 996 in your Bibles if you've closed them. Turning then to our first section, cleanse yourself, verses 20 to 23. Our passage opens with an illustration based on a great house. Now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honourable use and some for dishonourable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonourable, he will be a vessel for honourable use set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house and ready for every good work. Paul is using a relatively simple illustration here to make quite a significant point. In a big house, there are lots of pots for different purposes. There's the fine china and there's the mop bucket. Things have their particular uses. Just as we probably wouldn't put fruit in a mop bucket, so we wouldn't use the fruit bowl to catch drips from the roof or to wash the floor. In the same way, in a great house, there are vessels that are for dishonorable purposes and vessels for honorable purposes. In the illustration, the great house should be understood to be the visible church of God. But when Paul speaks of vessels, he doesn't mean the members of the congregation but rather those in leadership positions or those training for leadership. The image behind the word vessels that's used here is really a tool for the use of the master. And so the metaphor should be understood to be saying that there are some tools that are used for honourable things and others that are used for dishonourable things. Paul's point is that across the visible church, there are people in leadership positions and people who aspire to leadership positions, some of whom will be used for honourable tasks and some for dishonourable. We've seen an example of this already in 2 Timothy where Paul mentioned Hymenaeus and Philetus who were in the church spreading false teaching and were upsetting the faith of some. They were teaching falsely and should definitely be considered dishonorable vessels within the great house. But theological error is not the only thing that can land you in the camp of dishonorable. We'll come on to verse 22 in a minute, but for just now, look at the solution that Paul is proposing there. Flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love and peace. Paul is calling the approved worker to flee from sinful behavior and pursue righteousness. From this, we can see really clearly that actually our behavior, along with our theology, that's what's in view when deciding if we are workers for honorable or dishonorable use. It's not just our ability to rightly handle the word of God that matters, but actually our walk really matters as well. Both our ability to handle the word rightly and our walk. For those that would lead, our behavior really matters. The things we indulge ourselves in really matters. To be set apart as holy, 
useful to the master of the house and ready for every good work. We must guard our behavior because it really matters. There's something that every approved worker should want. This is what every approved worker should want, to be a useful tool in the hands of our Savior, to be set aside as holy, to be ready for every good work, to be a tool in the hands of Jesus, useful for his work, bringing glory to his name and preaching the word to a world that needs the gospel. But if we are to do this, then how we walk really matters. Because it defines whether or not we're a useful tool in the hands of God. And that's the hope in verse 21, that we can become vessels for honourable use, useful to the King of Kings. Several times this week I've stopped in my prep and just asked God, saying, please God, make me into this. Help me to cleanse myself and make me into an approved worker. Someone honourable, someone useful to the master. For that is the call of Paul to the approved worker. Cleanse yourself. Before we talk about that, let me just underline that we're not talking about a salvation. We're talking here about being useful to the master of the house. Paul has already stated in chapter 1 verse 9 that God called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Not because of our works, but because of his own purposes and grace. All of that is to say, I'm not standing up here preaching a works-based gospel, but instead I'm talking about how leaders and trainee leaders might be useful to God. And that's by cleansing ourselves from what is dishonorable. But notice, the responsibility is really given to the approved worker. The responsibility is laid on the Christian leader or the trainee to guard their walk to cleanse themselves. We're not left alone in that task. 2 Timothy is saturated with reminders of the help that we are given through God's Spirit. 2 Timothy 1 verse 7 said, God, says, God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And again, 2 verse 1, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. We are helped by the Spirit of God in the work of cleansing ourselves. But we must also take responsibility for cleansing ourselves. For those who lead and those who would lead, we are called to Spirit-empowered effort to cleanse ourselves and present ourselves as approved workers before God. So the big question is, what does it mean to cleanse yourself? The answer to that is found in verse 22, uh, chapter 2, verse 22. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Paul puts two verbs together for us to help, to help us understand what it means to cleanse ourselves. Flee and pursue 
Flee from your youthful passions. Pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Paul is speaking here to younger men, so it makes sense that he would be concerned about youthful passions. But we must flee them. Flee from the addiction of inappropriate images. Flee from a know-it-all pride. Flee from a comparison and an envy and a lethargy. That means cutting stuff off. Not messing around with sin and walking close to the cliff edge, but cutting things off. Maybe that means coming off of it. Facebook or Instagram, maybe it means putting filtering software in place or changing what you're doing, what you're watching in your downtime. Maybe it means not going to the pub with your mates, eh, but meeting them for coffee instead. Whatever it is, we must cut these things off and flee from youthful passions so that we can be useful tools in the hands of the Lord. This is the call to all who would be approved workers. You cannot walk in these things, but must cleanse yourself of them so that you can be useful to the Lord. The words Paul has chosen are significant as well. To flee. I wonder what images that conjures in your head. But it's a picture of knowing that there's a great danger that you simply must get away from. You're overmatched, and so you must run as far and as fast as you possibly can in the opposite direction to leave, to escape with your life. That's the image behind the word flee. These approved workers find themselves beset with their youthful passions. And Paul's advice, in order that they would be useful to the master of the house, is to turn and to flee, to run. But notice also that they're not just to flee from something, but they're to pursue several things. They're to pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Pursue is the absolute opposite of flee and carries with it the sense of constantly striving for something. While they run full tilt from their youthful passions, they must constantly run full tilt towards righteousness, faith, love, and peace. They are to run from their lusts and they are to pursue right standing with God. They are to run away from the things that would cause them to stumble and pursue a deeper knowledge and deeper relationship with God. I took some time this week uh, to actually listen to the Thomas Chalmers sermon that's referenced here all the time. Um, I've been meaning to do it for years and and haven't quite gotten around to it until this week. Um, And so in the explosive power of a new affection, Chalmers makes this very simple point. The human heart is not good at just fleeing from things. It doesn't work in isolation. We're not good at just cutting things off. We need a new affection. We need something to chase after. What we need is something else to set our hearts upon. Something to pursue. And that is exactly what Paul calls us towards. Flee from our youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. 
So what does it look like to pursue these things? It looks like someone who's constantly digging into God's word, seeking to know him better. It looks like someone who is consistently praying, asking God to grow their faith and trusting that God will do a work in them. It looks like someone who is pursuing other people, loving them really well, investing in them relationally and really caring for people. It looks like someone who is working hard to maintain the unity of the church without sacrificing truth. These things take really hard work. But this is exactly what we should be seeking in those who are training for leadership. And it's exactly what we should be expecting of our church leaders, of our elders, both here and at any other church we might go to. People who flee from youthful passions, people who flee from their sins and who pursue righteousness, faith, love and peace whilst handling the Bible rightly. The approved worker should not be doing this alone. They must do it with others who call on the Lord with a pure heart. One of our greatest helps in the flight from sin is the others around us who are praying for us, who are running with us, who are keeping us accountable and constantly encouraging us in godliness as we encourage them reading the Bible together and praying together. Really simple, but so important. And so the Christian leader must be running with others who are desperately seeking to flee from sin and pursuing God with pure hearts. So, for Paul, the approved worker must learn to handle the word rightly and must cleanse himself by fleeing youthful passions and pursuing righteousness, love, grace and peace alongside others who call on the name of the Lord with a pure heart. Having argued this, Paul then shifts his focus to highlight that it doesn't just matter how you walk, but how you walk with other people is also critically important. Which brings us to our second heading, Walk with Purpose, verses 23 to 26. Read with me again, verses 23 to 25. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. I don't know if you've noticed, but this word quarrels has come up a couple of times in 2 Timothy. It occurs twice in our passage, a controversies that breed quarrels, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. But it is also in the passage that Robin opened up for his last week. 2 Timothy 2 verse 14. Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Paul is really concerned that the approved worker would not get themselves involved in quarrels. And the reason that Paul is so concerned about quarreling is because it's so disruptive to our unity as our church and our ability to walk well with other people. 
It's really striking, isn't it? How hard it can be to show real love and care and concern about the people you're alongside while you're fighting about a game of double. But that's really Paul's point. Those that strive to be approved workers desperately need to avoid getting embroiled in ignorant controversies that make no difference, things that aren't about the truth. Because our unity with the church family and our witness to non-Christians is far too important. Paul then gives us four other ways that the improved, the approved worker to walk, uh, for the approved worker to walk. Not only must they not be quarrelsome, but they must be kind to everyone, able to teach. They must patiently endure evil and they must correct their opponents with gentleness. It's a nice low bar, which I like. Rather than get involved in fights, the approved worker must attempt to win over their opponents with gentleness and kindness by coming alongside them and teaching and correcting, by handling the word of truth with them and handling it rightly. Look at what Paul is assuming will happen to the church leader or to those who are training to be leaders. They will suffer evil and they will have opponents. At the end of chapter four, four Paul mentions by name people who have mistreated him in ministry. This really will happen to the leader or the would-be leader and they need to expect it and be ready for it, to handle it graciously with gentleness and kindness. What a witness it would be for a leader to patiently come alongside their opponent, to show them the truth of God's word rather than to quarrel, to forgive their opponent when they have been wronged and to gently correct them. What a witness that would be. How do you win hearts? Do you do it with fighting and quarreling? Do you do it by having the best insult? Or do you do it by gently come al coming alongside someone and patiently pointing them to the truth of God's word? Think of the contrast that this would be to the way in which people discuss things today. Gentle correction rather than insult or shouting. Holding out the truth in love lovingly, as Ephesians 4 puts it. These are the kind of leaders that we should have in the church today. And those training for leaderships, leadership must be diligently praying that God would make us into these kind of leaders. Before I draw, draw to a close, I want to comment on two more things. Firstly, I want to clarify who is in view when Paul mentions opponents. I think it's pretty clear that Paul is drawing a distinction between false teachers and people who are wrong about a piece of theology in the church. You know, members of the congregation who are just wrong about something. It's a different thing when someone believes something that is wrong compared, pardon me, compared to someone that teaches something that is wrong and for the wrong motives. 
Earlier in the chapter, Paul gave us the example of Hymenaeus and Philetus who have swerved from the truth and are teaching something that is false. In chapter 3, Paul tells us that we must avoid such people. Avoid them because they are leading others into error. But that is different from someone who simply believes something that is wrong and isn't in a position of leadership or teaching. A preacher who stands before a congregation and tells that congregation that it's acceptable to go out every night and get drunk, to sleep around, to live together before marriage, to be addicted to gambling or to drugs, that preacher is not only wrong, but they are dangerous because they do not teach the truth And they are, in fact, leading people astray. We must run from such preachers who do not teach the Bible properly, who do not rightly handle the Word of God, and are instead preaching and teaching falsehoods. That, however, is a very different situation from the member of the congregation who doesn't believe what the Bible teaches on one of these things. In that case, the call on the approved worker is to come alongside and patiently, lovingly, and with endurance, correct and to teach them, to show them the truth from God's Word. The teacher who fails to handle the Word rightly or who fails in fleeing from youthful passions and pursuing righteousness is very dangerous. A preacher who does not believe what he is preaching and is not himself engaging with the Bible could well shipwreck the faith of members of the church, members of his congregation, his friends. Such preachers must be avoided. If you find yourself in a position where people like that are leading your church, then you must flee them. That is important for your own faith and may prove critically important for the faith of your family. Now hear me clearly on something because I know there are people in this congregation who struggle or have struggled with some of the things I mentioned a moment ago. Let me say to you really clearly that if you have confessed and repented, then the grace of God covers over where you have fallen short in these things. Jesus' blood is enough to cover over them. But the call is always with spirit-empowered effort to turn and to flee from such things, pursuing God instead. That is the call in my life It's the call on the life of every sinner in this room, which is every person in this room. Trust in the blood of Christ for forgiveness. Flee from sin and pursue God. And in that, forgiveness is found. Grace is found. And it's freely given. The last thing I want to highlight is that Paul gives us a reason why the approved worker should put so much effort into walking this way. 
That reason's found in verses 25 and 26. Let's read that again. That God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Why? Why should the approved worker put so much effort into cleansing themselves, to fleeing youthful passions, to pursuing righteousness and faith and love and peace, to walking with those who pursue the Lord with a pure heart? Why should the approved worker avoid quarrels, be kind to everyone, be able to teach, patiently endure evil and correct opponents with gentleness? Why do all of that? Because it sounds like so much effort. Well, in the hope, just in the hope that God may grant repentance, God in his kindness may use a simple, steady witness of someone who really loves him, who really loves his word, who responds with gentleness, with gentle correction to win a soul for his kingdom. Through gentle teaching and patient endurance, God may free someone from the snare of the devil and bring them to a knowledge of the truth. Isn't that just the most wonderful prospect for anyone who loves the Lord? that souls may be won for his kingdom, that fires me to pray that God would help me to cleanse myself and to grow in these things because I want to be useful to God to win people for the kingdom because people's eternity rests on it. I hope that fires you to be praying for everyone in leadership positions in this church and in churches across across the country and the world, and to be praying for those that are training for ministry here and anywhere else, that we would be cleansing ourselves, fleeing from sin and pursuing God and walking in this manner with others, that we would be learning to handle the word rightly, but we would be guarding our walk so that we can be useful in the hands of our master and win souls for God. Let's pray to that end together. Father God, as we sit under the weight of your word, we ask for your help. We ask for your help that we would cleanse ourselves. We ask for your help that we would flee from youthful passions, that we would pursue righteousness, grace, love, peace. Lord, teach us, train us, enable us, equip us to handle with gentleness, correction, to teach gently, to come alongside and to love really well. Lord, equip us for, for, for work in your kingdom. Help us to be useful to the master in the hopes that you might grant repentance to some. Lord, to that end we pray and Lord, we ask that you would help us to strive. In Jesus' name, amen.